This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Every Bible turn the book of James here tonight. Uh, James chapter 5, look at us. Thank you, thank you. Uh, the, the book of James is divided up into six chapters, and we've knocked out four of them. Can you believe that? Like, look at us, just blazing through the book of James in a year, um, and we find ourselves all the way in chapter number 5 tonight. That's exciting. You might not think it's exciting when we actually get to the actual text of the message, but uh, it's exciting to be in the book of James, chapter 5, right? Uh, t- tonight is uh, one of those messages that hits, hits home. Let me just say that. Because tonight we're talking about what does James have to say about money? What does James have to say about being rich? What does James have to say about our priorities? What does he have to say about idolatry? And again, those things are hard things to hear, but they're things that are, are, are necessity uh, that we hear them. And so uh, we find ourselves James chapter 1, verse number 5. We're going to read through verse number 6 here uh, tonight. I'm entitled tonight's message, How to Make Money Your God. Uh, we're actually going to be in this, this six-verse uh, passage for the next two weeks, and so uh, tonight and, t- and next Sunday night uh, as well. James chapter 5, verse number 1. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You've heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the lords of the Sabbath. You've lived in pleasure on the earth and been in wanton. You've nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. And you have condemned and killed the just. And he doth not resist you. Money is one of those things that it's really easy to identify where your heart is. I had the opportunity to go through a premarital counseling with a couple in our churches that's preparing for marriage. Uh, and, And again, you would be a fool to get married without premarital counseling. Let me just say that. Uh, Angela and I did it. Let me just tell you this. We were fools, okay, uh, to, to, do, to take such, undertake such a great covenant commitment before God and not even know what you're getting into. But, but the, in our premarital council, we talked about money and how uh, our, our money is stewarded by God. It's a gift that's given to us by God and how we should avoid debt like the plague. We should save for the future and do things uh, wise uh, with our money and also steward our money so that we can use it to bless other people as well. But I, I told him during the, the premarital counseling, your view of money has a lot to do with the way that you were raised and a lot of your experiences as an adult. Uh, for those of you in this room that grew up poor, uh, where you didn't know if you were going to be able to eat, you, you couldn't go on the school field trip because it was $20 and your parents didn't have $20. Uh, your clothes that you got were hand-me-downs. Uh, your grandma paid for you to join the baseball league. Money's really important to you because you know what it's like to be without it. And so you place a high importance on that, and that's really maybe near and dear to your heart. You want to make sure I don't ever want to go there again. For some of you that grew up with a lot of money and parents that were wealthy or well-off, you never had to worry about money, you probably don't give money a second chance. Uh, don't give it a second thought. Man, spending $10 uh, at a meal is the same as spending $100 at a meal because, you know, money's just money. At the end of the day, there's always more. But for all of us, money is directly tied to one thing and one thing only, and that's our heart. How you view it depends on what your heart, where your heart's at. If you view money as something to make you happy or something to identify your status, or if you view uh, your riches as a way to make sure that you're always taken care of, you have an incorrect view of money altogether. If you view money as a tool that God's given you to advance the kingdom, if you view money as something that God's given you to bless other people, 
you view money as something that God's given you as just want something to pay the bills at the end of the day so that you can glorify God, you've got a right view of riches. One author put it this way, this quote is an outstanding quote, nothing more clearly reveals the state of a person's heart than his view of money and material possessions. Many who profess faith in Christ invalidate their claim to genuine saving faith through their opulent, indulgent, materialistic lifestyles. A clear indication that they serve wealth, not God. That's a pretty harsh statement, but it's an incredibly biblical statement. Jesus says you're going to serve one of two masters. You can serve money or you can serve God, but you can't do both. Now, again, we're going to cover some, some ground tonight. Uh, and some of it's going to sound maybe harsh, uh, uh, but again, it's not hard, meant to be harsh at all. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to say things that maybe you've never heard before or things that you don't want to hear. That's my job as a pastor. Next week, we're going to take a look at, at the, the title of next week's message, Is It a Sin to Be Rich? And I'll just give you the, the, uh, the spoiler alert. If you don't want to know, cover your ears now. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not. But <laughs> it's a sin to live for riches. And so here in this passage, James talks about some rich men. You might think to yourself, whew, I'm glad he's not talking about me. <laughs> Interesting thing. Did you know that you're rich? Like, like some of you are fabulously wealthy on a global level. Some of you, here's the thing. If you make more than $60 a month, I said a month, $60, you're in the top 50% richest people in the world. The majority of the world's population gets by on less than $2 a day. If you're above that line, $2 a day, you're 50% richest people in the world. Like we got kids in this room who's probably their allowance makes them top 50% richest people in the world, right? I mean, seriously, that's how filthy rich Americans are. We're one of the richest nations in the history of world civilization, okay? Like, just to put things into perspective, you live in a city where people drop a million dollars for a fixer-upper that was built in the 50s with no AC. And they don't think twice about it. They're actually getting into competitions with people to outbid them to buy a million-dollar fixer-upper. Like, look, where I grew up in Kentucky, if you spent a million bucks on a house, everybody knows that you spent a million bucks, right? Because you got like a horse stable out back with about 25 acres. You got somebody that's like keeping your house for you if you spend that kind of money. You don't, nobody asks like, hey, I wonder if that house is going to be condemned or not, you know? No lie, there's a, uh, when, when the Williams family moved here, there was a, a property uh, for sale over here on P.E. Coy. Uh, Pequoy, uh, it was a, a decent sized lot, uh, and I think they wanted something like $900,000 for something like that. I was just like, man, a spot like on Pequoy Street, like $900,000, that's doable. I mean, you could totally fix it up. <laughs> you read the description, oh yeah, the building's condemned, you have to tear it down first and then start from scratch. Oh, you're paying a million dollars for a piece of grass. Yeah, that's where we live. And here's the thing, people don't think twice about it. You might not know this, but the most expensive real estate property at the time, this was probably two years ago, to ever be sold in the entire state of Hawaii, you may know where it was, directly across the street over at Park Lane at Almoana Center. The penthouse over there went for something like $35 million. Can you imagine spending $35 million on a piece of property and going like, oh yeah, we're in the parking lot of the mall. <laughs> oh, I thought you bought a $3,500 million house. Yeah, we do. We're at the mall. Oh, okay. I'm sure it's got fabulous views and probably lots of other great things as well. But like we, seriously, there are people who are fighting tooth and nail and work their, their entire week long, 40, 50 hours a week to squeeze by maybe 20 bucks out of that week. I say all that to say this. First of all, we need to be incredibly grateful for where we live. Incre Look, America's got a gang of problems. I'm not going to try to cover that up. I could fix them all if you gave me an afternoon, but we got some problems, all right? But here's the thing. One of the greatest nations that God has ever built, and we are blessed far beyond what we deserve. Guaranteed. But here's the thing. I say all that to say, when he says in verse number one, hey, you rich guys, 
He's not talking to the people who make, you know, $20 million a year. He's talking to us. Uh, I had a, a friend from the CrossFit gym that I go to that um, he and I were, were working out and we began to talk. I invited him to church. He came to church a couple times and over the course of the conversation, hey, what do you do? He says, well, I do uh, retirement planning and wealth management. And I was like, oh, man. I said, like, I, I don't know anything about, like, like retirement. I said, you know, I got a, a Roth IRA. I don't know, even know what to do with it, really. I'm just socking money away in it. Like, could you give me some advice? And he laughed. And he goes, probably not. And I go, oh, uh, okay, why? And he says, well, again, I deal with wealth management, and all my clients have a minimum retirement balance of $20 million. Minimum. Yeah, I got like $20. <laughs> and I thought to myself, like, wow. And I said, man, I mean, how many clients do you have? He goes, oh, I, I maxed out at like 75. What? Like, unbelievable. We're not talking about those kind of people. When he says, hey, you rich guys, verse number one, he's talking to us. Now, how do we make money our God? Obviously, you shouldn't. So everything that I'm going to say tonight uh, should be taken in the negative, right? If you want him to replace God the Father with a fake God, lowercase g, of idolatry, here's how you do it. Number one, love money. First Timothy 6.10 is often misquoted generally by unbelievers and people that don't know the Bible, and they say things like, well, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. That's not what it says at all. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And again, even that phraseology in the King James, a better translation would be the root of all kinds of evil, if you take a look at the actual Greek uh, words themselves. So again, every source of evil doesn't go back to money, but it's the root of all kinds of evil for sure. Uh, my son Thatcher and I uh, had lunch today, and uh, we're talking through some stuff, and he had some, some gripes and complaints about life and stuff like that. And I said, dude, like, everything that you just listed comes back to one thing. Yeah, I know, like, selfishness. No, it doesn't. It comes back to money. Everything that you have, every gripe that you've got in the world about anything comes back to money in the situation, scenario we were talking about. When you love money, you set yourself up for failure. You want to see money as a tool? Hey, you've got a good grasp on what money's for. Money doesn't give someone status. Money doesn't give someone the ability to do whatever they want. Money can't buy happiness. If anything, money shows you that, it, it, that it's very difficult to have happiness. You go, oh, come on, pastor, that's not true. Hey, two of the wealthiest men in the world, Bill Gates blew up his marriage because he was having an affair on his wife. I think he would venture to say when his wife took half of everything that he had, that money doesn't make you happy. You have Jeff Bezos, one of the richest human beings ever in the history of man, blew up his marriage, left his wife, and decided to ride a rocket ship to space and come back with a cowboy hat on, right? I think you would venture to say, if you ask at least his wife, hey, does all that money make you happy? I think she'd probably say no. And I think if he was being really honest, he'd say, does that money make you happy? He'd say no as well. And again, you just go down the list of billionaires. You got guys like Elon Musk who just admitted that he secretly had twins a few uh, months ago with another woman while he's currently in a relationship with another woman who's also a mother of his children. I think you look at that and go, wow, like you have all the money in the world, you could buy anything in the world that you want to, and you can't even find one person to spend your life with that would make you happy. So again, you have people who have made money an idol. You made it, they made it their God and they're unhappy. Here's the thing. You don't have to be a billionaire to love money. You don't have to be rich to love money. You can be broke and love money. And it's going to set you up for the exact same amount of failure. And look, I know that some of you out here thinking, well, like, yeah, I know. If, if I had, though, an extra X number of dollars a month, everything would be fine. Let me just tell you, it won't. There's a time in Angela and I's marriage where uh, I was, uh, um, I just made E5 in the Navy. we just gotten married. I was terrible at managing my money. Uh, we got into credit card debt early on that we shouldn't have. Uh, we had more money going out than what we had coming in. I'm trying to make, a, make sense of all the mess that we had. 
And I remember sitting down at our dining room table. I could take you to the, the spot that we sat at at the dining room table. And I remember doing our budget, and we came up to like something like $40 short on our monthly budget. Like after you just like take all, out all the extras, like $40 short. And I remember saying to her, if we could just make $50 more a month, all of our problems would go away. And I really believe that. Like, hey, if we just make $50 more, all of our problems would go away. And you've probably been there before. Some of you that are a little bit older, like me. I'm not older, but if you're like me. You have some life, let's just say you have life experience. That's a good way, a nice way of saying it, right? There's probably a point in time in your life where you thought something like that. Hey, if I could just make an extra $50 more a month, my problems will go away. And then you fast forward maybe 20 years later, and you're like, hey, I make like $250 more a month than I did then, and my problems still haven't gone away. That you'll often find that the more money that you actually have, the more problems that come along with that. And really, at the end of the day, you need to understand this. Money doesn't matter at the end of the day because all it is is numbers on a sheet of paper. That's all. And I think most of us that are at least paying attention in the last 24 months have realized your dollars in your pocket are, are only worth what other people say they're worth, which these days is not a whole lot. Look, what a, a box of Pop-Tarts is $9. Those four quarters don't go as far as they used to go, do they? So again, we look at that and we say, money is just numbers at the end of the day. And as you add zeros to the end of your bank account, you're only adding more problems exponentially to the list of your problems that you have. There's no magic number that's going to fix all of your problems because money solves nothing. But we chase it like it solves everything. If I could get more money, people would think more of me. If I could make more money, I could buy more stuff. If I had more money, I could be more comfortable. Tim Miller taught an outstanding lesson to our single adults on Friday night at the singles conference about um, stewardship. And he told them, hey, look, you get in a problem with your money when you think to yourself, I have an apartment, but I want a nicer apartment. I have a car, but I want a nicer car. We're taking a vacation, but I want a nicer vacation. I've got nice shoes. I want nicer shoes. And somehow we think that that quick little dopamine hit that we get from buying something new is going to fix our problems when it doesn't fix anything at all. So when you love money, you're setting yourself up for failure by creating an idol in your life that will never satisfy. So you want to make money your God? First of all, love money. Second of all, assume your riches will last forever. Understand this, when you came into this world, you did not have a dollar to your name. When you leave this world, you will not have a dollar to your name. You can't take it with you. So in that time, from the time I get here to the time I leave, whatever God places in my hand, he commands me to use it for the kingdom because it doesn't last forever. In this verse, uh, in this passage in our text, James chapter 5, verse number 2. Here's what James says about these men who've stacked their chips, stacked their riches. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. And the rest of them shall be witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Like, hey, your, your money's worthless. Again, I'm not a great investor. I have money that I set aside in a Roth uh, IRA that I have invested in some stocks and things like that. Let me just tell you, if you're following the stock market, every stock that I own, which is like low risk, probably low return, every single one of them's taken an absolute beating. You know why? Because you can't trust in what happens day to day. If you're trusting in your riches, you will fail because your riches will not last. I have people that I know that have dumped a ton of money into cryptocurrency over the last two years because people are becoming crypto millionaires and crypto billionaires. You see uh, these guys on YouTube that are driving Lamborghinis that they bought with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and all this other stuff, and people have dumped all this money into it. In the last two weeks, every single solitary cryptocurrency has taken a massive nosedive, and people are doing things like committing suicide over it, why? Because they just wanted to get rich, 
and they wanted to keep that money rolling in. But it doesn't last forever. Money has itself no long-lasting value. Now, can you invest in something like eternal riches that will have lasting value? Absolutely, no doubt about it. But if you're banking on your money being there forever, if you're banking on your money just continuing to grow forever, the Bible says that's not going to be the case. Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 5. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle towards the heaven. If you're rich, enjoy it for a minute because one of these days it's going to grow wings and it's going to fly away just like a bird would. Uh, turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 2. I want you to see this, what Solomon, the richest man to ever walk the planet. Like this guy would have made uh, like an Elon Musk look like a, a homeless dude. Like that's how rich Solomon was. Here's what he had to say about wealth in Ecclesiastes. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. We hit Song of Solomon, you went too far. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If you've never read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you should read what the wisest and richest man to ever live had to say about things like <laughs> riches and wealth. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, let's start in verse number, um, let's back up to um, verse 13. We, we could read all of chapter 2 because all chapter 2 is good, but basically what he's saying here is like, hey, I worked really hard, I made a lot of money, I bought a lot of stuff. Uh, verse number 12, and I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do that cometh after the king? even that which hath already been done. Hey, I'm doing stuff that nobody will ever do again. Like, nobody has the power to do what I've done. Like, I feel bad for the guy coming after me because everybody's going to be like, oh yeah, Solomon already did that. Verse 13, then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. The, the wise man's eyes, verse 14, are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happened to them all. Hey, whether you're fool or wise, one thing happens to everybody. He's talking about death. Then I said in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this is also vanity. Vanity means foolishness or uh, futileness, futility, uh, worthless. Verse 16, for there's no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which is now is in the days shall come, shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Pause for just a second and, and say this. Solomon's not saying that wisdom is not important. That would go against everything he said in Proverbs. He says, hey, get rid of everything, but make sure that you keep wisdom. So he's not saying that wisdom's not important. What he's saying is there's a wise man and a fool. One day they both die. Who remembers either one of them? And you say, well, well that's not very encouraging. That's life. Hey, name me your great, 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 great grandfather on your mother's side and tell me if he was wise or a fool. I, I struggle to remember my great-grandparents' names. And chances are they were probably fools, I can tell you that. Uh, but, because they weren't Christians. Um, but, but again, Solomon's saying here, hey, after enough time passes, everybody's just dead and it doesn't matter. Solomon has finally come to grips with the fact that he's not as good as everybody makes him out to be. But he, then he goes on. Verse number 17, here's what he says. Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Everything that I've accomplished in life grieves me in my spirit. Verse 18, yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Man, everything I worked for my whole life, one of these days I'm going to die and I'm going to hand it off to somebody else that never worked the way that I worked, that never did the things that I did. Here's what he says, verse 19. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, 
wherein I have labored and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun, this is vanity. Like, I'm going to work my whole life to hand off everything I have to somebody coming after me, and I don't even know if this guy's going to be a wise or he's going to be a fool. And I'm going to work my entire life to amass this massive wealth that when I die, I can't take it with me, and I pass it off to a guy who's a fool, who's never worked a single solitary day in his life, and doesn't even appreciate what I've done. So you know what Solomon says? This is all worthless. What's worthless? Trying to amass a fortune. It's not worth it. Now, Solomon saying we shouldn't leave an inheritance? No, because uh, the Bible tells us that, that we should leave an inheritance to our children if possible. It doesn't always mean money. Sometimes it means things like a, a family legacy of faith. That's more important than any money you could pass down. But please understand, your riches will not last forever. Proverbs 27, 24, for riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? Turn back to, to James chapter 5. So, you want to make money your God, love money, assume that your riches will last forever. Number three, stoke your covetous desires. Because he, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing about desiring riches. It's not about making more money. That's not the answer to covetousness. The answer is being content with what you have. That's the key. Again, Angela and I were asking the wrong questions when we looked at our budget. Oh, how can we squeeze an extra $40, $50 out of this budget? The question is, why can't we just be content with what we have? Why did we get in credit card debt to begin with? Why did we buy stuff with money that we didn't have? Our, our first credit card we ever got, uh, I told this story here a dozen times, but Pearl Ridge Sears. We go to check out at Christmas time, 10% off. If you sign up for a Sears card, sign me up. 10% might as well have been 50% when you're broke, right? I'll save a dollar wherever I can save it. I sign up for this. Mind you, we're buying what we're buying because we're broke. And we're taking this 10% because we're broke. And the lady punches some things on the thing, prints out a receipt, and slides over the counter. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I could hear her sliding it across the counter. And I pick up this receipt and says, you've been approved for $12,000. And I thought, we're rich. I never had $12,000 in my life. Like, my first job, I worked for $4.25. $12,000, like, hey, babe, what you want that Sears has got, right? Like, we're rich. Why? Because I was a fool. That's why. And, and what causes people to go into credit card debt? What causes people to buy cars that they can't afford? What causes people uh, to put things on credit card that really have no value? I've done a lot of uh, financial guidance. I'm not a financial counselor. Uh, Tim Miller's an outstanding financial counselor. If you've got questions on budgets and, and how to get out of debt, he's an outstanding dude to help you. I'm not that guy, but I've done a lot of counseling. And you talk with somebody who says, I'm $30,000, $35,000 in credit card debt. It's just like, wow, that's bad. What do you have that you can sell that you can pay off your credit card debt? Nine times out of ten, they say, anybody want to guess? Nothing. Nothing. Wait. You spent $35,000, you don't have nothing. Well, we went out to dinner, you know, we were on the mainland, we went to a Lakers game, and I bought floor seats because it was on a credit card. Okay, I bought some shoes. Um, I bought clothes, and you're just like, I went out to dinner a few more times. Okay, yeah, I'm doing the math on the calculator. This doesn't add up to $35,000, where did it go? I don't know. And you know what the problem was? They thought, oh, I'm rich. And they began to fulfill their covetous desires. I gave this advice to our single adults, and I'll give it to you tonight. You want to stay away from covetousness? One of the easiest ways to do that is delete your social media. Please understand, social media is not a product that you consume. You are the product of social media. People are buying paying good money to put stuff in front of your face to make you consume more. That's not some pastor's idea of the, what social media is. That's what the social media companies say themselves. 
They're selling you a product, and the product is advertisement to make you want to buy more. And people pay millions of dollars to get stuff in front of your eyeballs. You think you're just checking up on uh, Aunt Gertrude and how her cat's doing because it had surgery, and so you want to see what she posted to Facebook. That's not what this is about. It's about making you discontent with your life so that you'll buy more stuff. And even if you turn off every single ad that's on there, you're still going to continue to scroll and see people's lives that are better than yours. And you're going to say, well, I wish I had that. Man, did you see that family photo like in, in, in the fall and autumn of Georgia? I mean, like they were standing in this like halo of trees and like in the background there were like orange leaves falling behind them. Like, I can't even get our kids to sit still. And here they look like, a, like a, it came out of a magazine. First of all, how are their kids so well behaved and our kids are terrible human beings? How is that? You know, I, they totally photoshopped that guy because the last time I saw him, he was like 30 pounds overweight and he looks like a P90X model now. Like, something's going on here. And then, like, I live in a place where I haven't seen fall leaves in 10 years. Like, my kids need to see a halo of trees with autumn leaves falling. I don't get that. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to move to Georgia. I'm going to start P90X. My wife's going to join a soul cycle gym somewhere in Atlanta. And we're going to live like that. And you say, well, pastor, that's extreme. Is it? Is it really? Because so many people have left our church because they saw a house that somebody posted in San Antonio, Texas on two acres of land that they bought for $400,000. And they're like, dude, we're out. San Antonio's got it. Am I making that up? I'm not at all. You know what happened? They were stoking their covetous desires. Hey, look, if you struggle with materialism, go to the mall, have a plan where you're going, and get out. If you have a credit card that's burning a hole in your wallet, cut it up. Be done with it. Like, like stop social media, get off all that garbage, be content with what you have. Look, if I'm constantly wanting the latest and greatest gadgets, the last place I need to go and just walk around and kill some time is Best Buy. I'm going to walk out with something that I don't need, that I can't afford. And so if we continue to stoke our covetous desires, our covetousness will continue to grow. And what do we need to fulfill that? More money. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 5 says it this way. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. There we go. Paul says it flat out for the, for, in Colossians. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Let's just call it what it is. Look, you go back to the Ten Commandments. Covetousness is a sin from the Ten Commandments. Don't look at your neighbor's ox. Don't look at your neighbor's wife. Be content with what you got. Paul tells Timothy, be content. If you have food and clothes, be content with that. That's all you need. But so many times we think to ourselves like, ooh, look at what the neighbors got over there. I think I deserve that. I work hard. I deserve to have nice things. So-and-so just bought a house. We, we should buy a house. I remember we lived in California in Lancaster, and of all the people that I worked with at, at the church there, Angela and I were the only ones that were still renting an apartment. And it was kind of hard because people kept asking a question like, hey, when are you going to buy a house? When are you going to buy a house? When are you going to buy a house? At the time, houses there were like $400,000, and like we couldn't afford a $400,000 house, period. Because Angela and I had made this decision. While the kids are in school and in the house, you're going to stay home with them because they need their mom. They don't need to come home to an empty house at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and watch cartoons and goof around until 6 o'clock until somebody decides to roll in and throw a frozen pizza in the oven. Why? So we can have more stuff? Nope, not on my watch. We'll, we'll live and, and get by. We drove a $400 minivan for three years because it was paid for so that my wife could stay home with our kids. We very rarely went out to eat. 
there came a point where uh, we were trying to do the budget and trying to get our grocery bill down and stuff like that, and we absolutely could not compete with Little Caesars. We couldn't. You could get a $5 large pepperoni pizza, hot and ready. Like, have you ever tried to feed a family of four on $5 before? Ever? Anywhere? Like, I can't buy a loaf of bread and a, a jar of peanut butter for $5. So no lie, at least three times a week we were eating Little Caesars. I know it's terrible, it's horrible, it's awful for you. I'm probably going to die early of a heart attack, and my kids probably have, you know, illnesses because of it. But look, it, it was cheap. It was all we could do to get by. Because I said, I refuse to put my wife to work just so we can have more stuff. I refuse to have my kids be without a mother just so we can have more stuff. Not going to do it. But it was hard watching everybody else buy a house, and we didn't get the opportunity to. But you know what, then? God's always faithful, isn't he? Now, God doesn't owe me a house, for sure. But about two years later, real estate prices went absolutely to the basement. We were able to find a house for $180,000 that fit in our budget that, that I could afford on my salary, and we did it. We pulled the trigger on it. Only house we've ever owned. But I refused to allow, looking across the office and seeing all these other people who had bought houses and all the things that they had caused me to change on my convictions. So covetousness is a sin. Next, you want to make money your God, prioritize money over the things of God. I, I told our single adults yesterday, I've known people, this is, I'm not being, I'm not being an exaggeration, I have known people before who says, Pastor, I can't make it to church on Sundays because I have to work okay, well, are they making you work? Can you request Sundays off? Oh, no, I volunteered to work because I make $2 more an hour on Sundays. Okay, let's just do the math on that. $2 an hour for an eight-hour shift works out to somebody help me. $16 before taxes. How much of that do you really actually probably bring home? Probably close to nine bucks. So you're going to sell out the kingdom of God for $9 a week? Really? That's somebody who prioritizes money over the things of God. That's somebody who says, I want money more than I want God. This is a person who, if you take a look at their checkbook, they give very minimally, if at all, to the kingdom through their local church to accomplish uh, the propagation of the gospel which we call the great commission very little do they give to the local church they give a lot maybe to panda express they give a lot probably to starbucks everybody these days is giving a lot to the gas station for sure but again those are just it's how you prioritize your money i've known people before who says oh i can't afford to tithe because i got a car payment <laughs> get rid of your car payment tithe well i can't do that sure you can well, it wouldn't be wise to do that. I think it's incredibly unwise not to tithe. That's just what the Bible says. But you find people who are chasing after money at the expense of the kingdom. Careful with that. Matthew chapter 13, verse number 22. He that also received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now we look at that and we always, here's the thing, the parable of the seed. If you know the parable of the seed, basically, there's a sower, he throws a bunch of seed, it falls on four different types of soil, and some of it brings forth good fruit, others get choked out for one reason or, or another, the devil comes and snatches away or it just gets blown out because it didn't take root. Here's the blind spot that all of us have, every single one of us, myself included. We automatically assume what? We're the good soil. I'm the good soil, I mean, I'm a Christian. Right? Okay. Study the other three soils and make sure that you're not a rocky soil. Make sure you're not the stony ground. Be sure that you're not the hard ground. Careful, because here's what this says. It says that the deceitfulness of riches choke the word out. And you say, oh, that, that's not me. Okay. But if it is, be, beware of that. Because some people... Maybe even in this room say, I don't tithe because I can't afford to. Hmm. Let me tell you this. You've allowed the deceitfulness of riches to choke out the truth of the word. 
Because the truth of the word says, my God shall supply all your needs in glory according to his riches in glory, according to Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible says. And so if you don't believe that, you've allowed the deceitfulness of riches to choke out the word. And guess what? You're not the good soil anymore. And that applies to every area of our life. For those that struggle with anxiety and fail to trust God at his promises, you're allowing other things to snatch the word away from you so that you can't believe. We really need to examine our hearts and make sure that we have good soil that God can plant a good seed in. Next, you want to make money or God do whatever it takes to get that money. Take a look back at our text in James chapter 5, verse number 4. Behold, the hire of laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Hey, you hired people to do a job, and you cheated them out of what you owed them. And that's just not a problem with you and them. That now has become, according to this verse here, their cries have come into God's ears now. Now it's a problem with you and God. You might say, well, I never cheated somebody out of money that, that I owed them. I'm not talking about that specifically. I'm talking about doing whatever it takes to make a buck. Maybe being unethical. Maybe being shady in your business dealings. Maybe selling something that doesn't belong to you. Maybe... Shaving some numbers off of your taxes. Maybe falsifying credit or loan documents to get what you need to get. I'm just saying. You say Christians wouldn't do that. Christians do that all the time. You know why? Because they've replaced God with the God of money. Again, people would go to any length to make money. It's funny, uh, we were back there in the, uh, the area back behind the curtain, which is a little kitchen back there and stuff like that. And my wife uh, said to somebody the other day, oh, would you eat something here off the floor for a million dollars? They're like, I'd eat off the floor for a thousand dollars. Like, hook me up, you know? <laughs> my wife is like mega germaphobe. Like, like, if my kids, like, touch the food, she's like, ah, oh, I can't eat it. My kids touched it, you know? Uh, so... <laughs> so she's like, if it hit the floor, would you eat it for a million dollars? She's like, I'd eat it for a hundred bucks, you know? But that's the thing. Isn't that the funny thing about it? Hey, would you do X for what? Would you do X for a hug? No, nobody says that. Would you eat a live scorpion for a hug? Uh, no. <laughs> would you sleep in bed with a, a snake for a high five? No. <laughs> What would you do it for? Money. My kids uh, found on uh, one of the streaming services old, old, old episodes of Fear Factor. And they, they had gone to this house, and again, they have these things where they, uh, if you've never seen Fear Factor, it's a terrible show. Uh, but um, <laughs> it's nasty is all it is. And it's not, not sinful, it's just nasty. Uh, and so they, they do this thing where they go out to different neighborhoods, they knock on people's door, and they have this challenge they have to do. And one of the challenges they do to earn these like $500 Visa gift cards, you know, we're going to grind up these Madagascar hissing cockroaches in a blender and then somebody has to drink it. But we're also mixing up live Madagascar hissing cockroaches in there. So you just got to chug the whole thing. And they're like, all right, let's do this. What? For $500? Are you kidding me? And they start a timer. If you don't do it enough time, you don't get nothing. What? absolutely not no way and that's again like oh would you do it for a million dollars i don't know that i would because i don't love money that much now again what can i do with a million dollars i'd love to put money in our, our building fund i'd love to be able to to buy the building that we sit in i'd love to be able to support more missionaries i'd, I'd love to be able to to help church planners those are things i like to do with money but like i'm going to eat a bunch of cockroaches so i can get a million bucks to go what buy a new car please Priorities, folks. But people are willing to do whatever it takes to make that money. First Timothy 6, 9, Paul says this, but they which will be rich. Now, again, will be rich doesn't mean in the future they're going to be rich. It means those who desire to be rich. 
So read it this way. But they which desire to be rich fall into temptation and snare, into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So Paul says, if you want to be rich, please understand, this is a trap that will ruin your life if you really just want to be rich. Proverbs chapter 22, verse number 16, he that oppresseth the poor to increase his riches, and he that giveth to the rich shall surely come to want. It means he's going to be left lacking and desire more. Proverbs 28, 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings, but he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. Proverbs 28, 22, he that hasteth to be rich, wants to be rich quick, has an evil eye, and considereth not that the poverty shall come upon him. Hey, the person who wants to be rich quickly, know this, he just doesn't realize how broke he truly is. Man, isn't that heavy? Look, if you read the entire Bible, cover to cover, Genesis of Revelation, you would be very, very incredibly hard-pressed to find out anything positive that is ever said about money or riches. The whole Bible. But again, there's story after story, proverb after proverb, verse after verse, warning after warning that talks about the desire to be rich. You want to make money your God and idolatry? Trust your money first and then God second. I don't know when the last time you was that you prayed over your budget, how you spend your money. Most of you probably don't anymore because maybe you can pay all your bills. Or you're praying when you came up short, right? But you don't pray over your budget now that you've got it covered. You don't thank God for his ability to pay your bills because you got it covered. But let me just tell you, the first time you miss a paycheck, you're going to be praying really hard, won't you? I was telling the, the uh, couple that I was taking through premarital counseling, hey, you need to put, have a $1,000 emergency fund set aside. After that, you need to build three to six months of your monthly budget and put it in savings. And I said, people used to ask all the time, when will there ever be a time in my life where I can't work for three months at a time? And we found out the answer to that in 2020, right? Everything shut down. Everything closed. Some people didn't get paychecks. What do you do then? I bet a lot of people prayed about their finances then. Just assume that weren't praying before. You know why? Because we find a lot of security in our money. You might check your, uh, get out, take out a $20 bill at the ATM, then you look at your receipt to find out whether or not you're okay this week or not. <laughs> Please understand, if that's your indication whether or not you're okay or not, you're not okay. How much money you have in the account to determine whether or not you're all right this week, you got, you're measuring with the wrong measuring stick. All the money in the world cannot do what God can do. You take a man like Steve Jobs, again, one of the wealthiest men ever in, in recent history. Got cancer. What did he do? Went around the world talking to experts, doctors, tried everything under the sun, every medication that he did. What happened to Steve Jobs? He died. How much money did he take with him? Zero dollars. Because money doesn't fix everything. You take celebrities, I don't want to name names because I don't want to be unkind, who are overweight and you think to yourself like they have all the money in the world they can hire the personal trainers they want to they can have chefs make every single meal that you, they want to but guess what money can't buy health money can't fix broken relationships but so many times we think oh if we had more money we would really be secure friend if you've got a hundred dollars to your name and you call god your father you're secure. Are there some things you should probably do to be a good steward of what God places in your hands? For sure. But don't think to yourself, oh, if I had $100,000 in the bank, all my problems would go away. They wouldn't. So don't, stop trusting in your money. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 24, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. Either you hate one, love the other, or else hold to one and despise the other. Here's what Jesus says. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon means money. So here's what Jesus says. You're either going to serve money or you're going to serve God, but you cannot do both. And he goes so far as to say this, if you choose to serve money, you're going to hate God. Well, I mean, like, I don't like hate God. No, that's what G Jesus said it. If you got a problem with it, take it up with him. 
He says, if you've got a master that you're serving, you're going to hate the other one that you're trying to serve. Look, money has kept back so many people from following Christ, trusting Christ. Again, you talk to a, a, a person who's wealthy. Uh, we used to go uh, in Southern California, we used to go house to house uh, trying to talk to people about the gospel, same way as we do here on our outreach. And some of the neighborhoods that were the hardest were the ones that you get to. It's a 4,000 square foot house with a boat in the driveway and a, you know, a big Dodge Ram 2500 in the front with a Cummins diesel turbo engine. And you're like, this one's going to be a rough house. You know why? Because you've got to knock on that house and say, hey, I have something that you're missing. And they say, what is it? What is it? I go to the lake every weekend. Did you see the $250,000 boat that's sitting in my driveway? Did you see the $110,000 truck that I pull it with? Please, again, tell me what I'm missing. Oh, you're missing Jesus. Ha <laughs> yeah, right. How did you get here? Would you ride a bicycle here? Oh, that's your beat-up uh, Toyota uh, Corolla over there? Yeah, please, again, tell me what I'm missing. That's why Jesus said, it's harder for a man, for a, a camel to pass through the eye of an eel than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. Why? Because they don't need anything. Why? Because they're trusting their riches. They don't need what you got. You want what they have. If you're carnal. But again, Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 11, the rich man's wealth is his strong city and a high wall is his own conceit. You're going to make money your idol? You're going to make it your God? Live for pleasure and live for yourself. Again, you go back to James chapter 5, verse number 5. Or James, James 5, 5. You've lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You've nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and killed and just, and he doth not resist you. Like, hey, you had what you wanted. Are you happy? You got what you wanted. Is God pleased? You got what you wanted, and you, you lied, you cheated, you stole to get it. Are you really happy with what you got there? Here's what John says in 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in this world. For if a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whew. Oh, you love the things of this world? The love of the Father is not in you. And again, we live in a society today that, that plays this up so much. My kids introduced me to way too much stuff on YouTube. And there's this one guy on YouTube that has a stupid amount of money that advertisers throw at him to do stuff. And he's like, oh, if you, if you swallow this golf ball, I'll give you all the money that's in the briefcase. And people like swallowing golf balls, you know. Oh, if you stand on one leg for an hour, I'll give you a million dollars. And she had all these people like trying to stand. He had this one challenge. And again, I'm like watching this going, like, do people really watch this? They do, like millions of years. Here's a Lamborghini. I'm going to have 20 people stand around the Lamborghini and put your hand on it. The last person to take their hand off wins the Lamborghini. And you got people like just standing there for days. Like, what? And, and so for the first part of me, I'm watching this and I go, this is fascinating. This is entertaining. This is exciting. And then I thought, I stopped for a second. I'm like, wait a minute. All of this is driven by a love of money. Oh, man. But again, the idea is, hey, live for yourself. Do what makes you happy. Hey, life's short. Enjoy it. If you've made some money, enjoy your money. If you haven't made money, get some money so you can actually enjoy life like the rest of us. That's the message that the world gives. But love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. Final thought. You want to make your money... Your God, steal for the kingdom of God to create your own. Here's what the prophet Malachi had to say in the Old Testament. He says this. I'm not, I'm not going to quote it because you've been in church any time, any time you know it. He says, hey, stop stealing from God. Stop robbing God. And they say, where have we robbed God? In your tithes and your offerings. Now, you want to talk whether or not the, the tithe is binding on the New Testament church or not, that's a conversation for another day, but he says the tithes and offerings. You can't get around the offerings part. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, let every man lay aside him in store on the first day of the week as God hath prospered him. Proportional giving on a regular basis on the first day of the week, Sundays, 
to the local church as God has given you. God's given you a little bit this week, you give a little. God's giving you a lot, you give a lot. God's giving you nothing, you give nothing. And, but if you want to make the kingdom your God, or you want to make money your God instead of the kingdom, steal from the kingdom, steal from God, and set up your own kingdom. There's a guy one time who's just like, Pastor, I really want to tithe, but I can't afford it. Okay, that just means you made poor life choices. Because everybody can afford to tithe. Well, I would tithe if I made more money. No, you wouldn't. Look, if you made $20 a week, it'd probably be pretty easy to give $2 a week, wouldn't it? Most would say that. Well, yeah, but I make, I make $2,000 a week. That means I have to give $200 a week. Okay, a little bit harder. Imagine you made $2 million a week. How much would your tithe be then? A lot. A lot easier to give tw- two bucks, right? doesn't matter. Because it's not a dollars and cents issue, it's a heart issue. And so this, this one guy, I sat down with him, went, went through his budget. I said, hey man, put together your budget. You got a budget? He said, I got a budget. Put together your budget, I'll sit down with you and figure out what we can do to help you tithe. Because he said, I really, I really, really want to tithe, I just can't afford it. Okay, let's look. Number one line item on his budget. Single guy. Rent. $3,500. Dude, the first apartment that I had when I was a single guy was like four fifty. Like dollars, $450 a month. Like, where are you living? Well, I need access to a pool. It's got a hot tub, and that helps with my lower back when I sit in a hot tub. And, you know, at least I don't have to pay for a gym membership. Bro, you can go to 24 Hour Fitness for like 40 bucks. You don't have to spend three grand on rent to get a, a gym. What well, comes down to it, I just like it. Okay. You need to move somewhere cheaper within your budget so that you can tithe. Next line item truck payment. $850 a month. That's an expensive vehicle. Like, what you pay over the course of six months, you could buy a truck for. Well, I know, but this one has a special engine and it's a limited edition. With a, you, you, that's the problem. That's the problem, pre- precisely. You want to live somewhere super nice, you want to drive a super nice car, and now you can't afford to tithe. It all makes sense. And so I told him, move out into a cheaper place, Sell your truck. Well, well, I don't want to do that. Okay. Then don't tell me that you want to do what's right. Because you're stealing from the kingdom to create your own kingdom. That's a sin. Any way you slice it. And I wouldn't, look, anybody who would steal, look, think about it this way. We have our ushers here. They're standing with offering baskets as you leave here. Like, hey, if you give online or you give... uh, to the offering basket string, please continue to be faithful in your tithes, your offerings, and your first forgiven, right? I say that every week. And that's really about all I say. And I've been criticized for my preaching on tithing, believe it or not, that I don't preach on tithing enough. So some of you that are thinking like, oh, she hadn't talked about this. I get criticized for not talking about it enough. But imagine this. Our, our ushers are standing over there, and somebody walks by, they look in the offering basket, they take a $100 bill out, and they put it in their pocket, and they keep walking. What would we do? Tackle them. Call the police, right? But here's the thing. Somebody this week made a $1,000 and they didn't give God $100, which is the exact same thing as what they did. And we don't think that we've really wronged anybody. Well, I haven't done anything wrong. I mean, I can't afford to do that. Hey, look, let me just tell you this. I could buy a house if I didn't tithe. I could buy a brand new car if I didn't tithe. I could put my kids in the best school on the island if I didn't tithe. I could do a lot of money if I didn't tithe. But Angela and I have always decided in our budget, line item one, our giving to God. Everything else is based on that first number right there. Where we live, what kind of car we drive, whether or not we have internet service or the higher level of internet service, portions of our marriage, whether or not we had cable television or not, we're all determined on that first number, our giving to God through our local church, which included not only the tithe, but also our missions giving, our building commitments, other commitments that we had as far as grace giving was concerned. We we just weren't going to put God second or bottom on our list. I've known people before like, I'll give God 10% of everything that's left over. What? Well, yeah, after my budget, I come out to $50 left at the end of the month, and so I'll give God five. <laughs> no, no, no. You're giving God scraps. God doesn't take leftovers. God says keep that. And again, I'm not talking about this tonight because the church is broke. 
I'm not talking about this because we're trying to build a building. If everybody would tithe, we could do this. I've been in churches before that have guilt-tripped people about giving and things like that. This is not that kind of talk. This is not that kind of church. I'm not trying to give you to give towards a project or to see the value and the next generation that we're bringing along. And nothing. I'm trying to see, help you see the Bible and obedience. That's all. God's blessings are not. Totally up to you. And here's what Malachi says. You want to keep what you got? It's cursed. So think about this. The 100% that you're keeping is now 100% cursed instead of allowing 90% of it to at least be blessed. That's what Malachi has to say about it. It's heavy. And again, people want to, you know, cut it down and find out, oh, that was the Old Testament, stuff like that. There's plenty of talk about giving in the New Testament as well that people choose to ignore because they don't like it. The fact of the matter is it's just obedience at the end of the day. Do you live for the kingdom or not? Again, do you think that a uh, 7,000-square-foot facility that's 50 yards from the largest outdoor shopping mall in the world and in the center of Honolulu just comes free? Do, do you think that throwing $2 in the offering basket allows us to pay our rent or allows us to have AC on this week? It doesn't work that way. It happens by the sacrificial giving of God's people because they're obedient to the Word of God. That's what helps us fulfill the mission that we have. And people, and you might say, like, well, I don't think we should pay high rent in the middle of the building. Okay, then start a home church. There's plenty of those around. The thing that you can't do is just not be obedient. And again, when people say things like, well, I, I attend a home church. Hey, do you guys tithe there? Oh, we don't tithe. Do you have a pastor? We don't have a pastor. I don't know if that's really a church then. Might be a little Bible study, which is nothing wrong with that. But again, when we talk about advancing the kingdom, I have to set my own kingdom to the side. And live for the kingdom. Because here's the thing. If I choose to build my own kingdom, it's a fake kingdom that passes away the day that I take my last breath. That's what the Bible says. But I'm trying to live for something that lasts forever. I'm trying to get to heaven and have people there in heaven because of the way that I lived my life and the way that I stewarded God's blessings to include my finances and my time and everything else. I'm trying to live in such a way that I can show people the value of who Christ is based on how I live my life and based on how the way I invest the things that God's given me. But none of that happens if you're just chasing a buck. None of it. You, you want to make money your God? You're going to be greatly disappointed with what you find. You're going to be let down. You're going to find out that that God doesn't go as far as you thought that it did. I remember when we moved back to uh, when we lived here before, we were actually buying a house in uh, Eva Beach. Uh, Angela and I had, had moved out. We were looking at moving out there. We were living in Copley at the time. We were looking at buying a house in Eva Beach and um, down Fort Reaver Road on the left-hand side over there. And so we went, looked at the house. It looked great. Uh, we, we signed a letter of intent or whatever it's called. And there was the day where we were supposed to go sign an, an open escrow. We were driving from town out to Eva Beach. And the whole time, I'm just sweating bullets. We didn't speak in the car the whole time. She's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm not okay. And she was just like, what's wrong? And I go, I just, it's a lot of money, babe. And she was like, God, I was thinking the same thing. I said, like, I mean, we're talking $250,000 for a house. It's a quarter of a million dollars. And she was like, I know. I was thinking the same thing. I was just like, I don't have a good feeling about this, babe. That's a ton of money. Now, mind you, uh, rewind. This is like 2002 time frame. Oh, so much money, yeah. And, and so we, we were on the way, and we just prayed, and we just said, we're not going to do it. So we got there, and we told our realtor, hey, sorry, we're not opening escrow today. And they're like, oh, you lose your, lose your deposit. Hey, keep it. We're just not going to do it. We can't. We, we don't feel good about it. And we didn't. <laughs> we made the mistake when we moved back here in 2013 to look up to see what those houses were selling for 10 years later. <laughs> You know, you know, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Seven fifty—that's three quarters of a million dollars. Huh? Did we miss out? Did we miss the boat? You know what? I didn't know for ten years that I missed five hundred thousand dollars. I didn't even know that it was missing. I never had it in my hand to begin with. When I look at my kids across from the dinner table, do I feel like I'm missing $500,000? The thoughts never crossed my mind once since the day that I looked at that. I looked at that and I laughed and I go, huh, wow, bummer on that. Our house that we sold in California, we sold for exactly what we owed on it because we just wanted to get to Honolulu, we just wanted to serve Jesus, so we didn't want to have any reserves or backups or reason to leave. 
We sold our house and to a guy that I worked with. Two years later, he sold it for double what we sold it to. Two years later, he made hundreds of thousands of dollars off that house. We didn't. Did I feel like I lost out? Nope. I've gained everything. You know why? Because my life isn't about money. I want to encourage you. Check your heart. Again, this is not a message on tithing. I don't want to guilt trip you. If you walk out here like, okay, fine, I'll give. Keep it. God doesn't want it. God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to give out of worship and adoration because he's worthy, because he's good, because you want to be obedient, because you want to grow, because you want to trust him by faith, because you want to believe God's word, not because you feel really bad on a Sunday night that pastor was mean. Amen. That's a terrible, <laughs> I wasn't even mean. You guys haven't seen me mean yet. But again, that's not why you want to give. So again, check your heart. Just ask yourself, hey, is my heart right with God before this thing or not? If it's not, I want to fix it. If it is, I want to continue growing in this area of stewardship. I don't want to be a rich person who makes a dollar at the expense of everything else, builds massive wealth, builds my kingdom, only to realize that it only lasts until I die. Again, Jesus told a parable we took a look at last week about a man who was going to tear down all of his barns and build bigger ones so that he could have more stuff. And God says, you're a fool. You're going to die tonight. So again, it's also important to note, and I'm done here, I promise. We're in James chapter 5, verse number 1 here tonight. Did you know that when James wrote his letter, he didn't write it with any chapter and verse demarcations through there? It was just a big, long letter. So if you look at what James is saying here, and you back up to the end of chapter 4, what's he talking about? He's talking about the will of God. He's talking about what's your life, it's a bit of vapor, it appears for a short time and vanisheth away. It's written in context of a short life that has to be lived directly dead center in the will of God. And that includes your finances as well. Don't get your heart fixed on the things of this world because it'll fail you. Remember the will of God and the short time frame that we have for this life. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.